Woodland Church, this weekend we're concluding the series that we've been in on relationship games, and we're going to talk about one of the most popular games in history, chess. Now, unlike some of the other games that we've looked at, chess requires a lot of skill, strategy, and practice. And it's the same with relationships. It takes skill, strategy, and practice to build a lasting marriage relationship or a strong friendship or a close family. It takes a lot of skill, intentionality, and strategy, and hard work to build deep and close relationships. My wife, Chris, is really good at chess. I mean, she is amazing when it comes to chess. And because we're in church, I have to admit something to you. I have never once beaten her at a game of chess. In fact, she is a beautiful assassin when it comes to chess. She will annihilate and humiliate me in chess. I mean, she is so competitive, and chess brings out that competitive side in her. Yes, I know it's true. She's so beautiful. She's so kind, so compassionate, so unselfish, but not when it comes to chess. She destroys me every single time. She's always wanting to play chess, and I'm like, mm, I think I'll pass. It's not real enjoyable for me. But she knows the goal of chess is to win and make your opponent lose. The goal of chess is checkmate, to take the king and to destroy your opponent. Now, there are a lot of similarities between chess and close relationships. For example, in chess, you have to sacrifice. Sometimes you have to sacrifice a smaller piece in order to attain the larger goal. And that's the way it is in close relationships. There are times you have to sacrifice, each of you having to sacrifice for the larger goal of oneness and a deeper connection. In chess and in close relationships, you have to be flexible. I mean, you can plan all your opening moves in chess, but you don't know what your opponent is going to do. And they make a move, and you've got to adapt your strategy to the moves that they make. You've got to be flexible, you've got to change, and that's the way it is in close relationships. You're always changing, so you have to be flexible and always be ready to make changes. There are a lot of similarities between chess and close relationships, but there's one big difference. In chess, the goal is to win and make the other lose. In close relationships, the goal is a deeper connection. In chess, you're opponents, but in close relationships, you're on the same team. In chess, the goal is checkmate. In marriage, the goal is soulmate. In chess, the goal is to have one winner and one loser. In marriage, you either have two winners or two losers. And so today, I want to focus in on the marriage relationship. Though these principles we're going to talk about, most of them can be applied to any close relationship, a friendship, a family relationship, a business partnership. There's so many powerful principles that we get from this. But how do you 
take a marriage from checkmate to soulmate. We see so many couples today competing and then crashing and their marriage is falling apart. And then many couples that do stay together get stuck in what I call stalemate, where the marriage gets really stale and they never become soulmates. There's no warmth, enjoyment, and emotional connection in the relationship. They're more like roommates rather than soulmates. The thing that's made the biggest difference for Chris and I that really helped us have a huge breakthrough in our marriage was when we chose to stop focusing on building a perfect marriage and we started focusing on building a marriage of purpose. See, if you focus on a perfect marriage and trying to build a perfect marriage, then you're gonna be disillusioned and really frustrated with your spouse and with yourself. If you focus on perfect, you're gonna tear each other apart because you're both very flawed and imperfect. But what we have found is you change your focus from perfect to purpose. You stop trying to build your marriage on perfection and you start building your marriage on purpose. So what is the purpose of marriage? Well, we find it in Ephesians chapter five. And so would you open your Bibles to Ephesians five and would you stand in honor of God's word, Woodlands Church? And I wanna welcome all you guys worshiping with us. There are satellite campuses, there are online campus, our broadcast ministry, Everyone here in the Woodlands, can you believe that it's less than a month away to Easter? It's hard to believe, isn't it? And God is moving and God is working and it's so important to be connected at church and we hope you'll be at one of our campuses. But if not, stay connected through our online or broadcast ministry. Make it a priority to stay connected. There's something about community that we all need so desperately. God made us that way. So follow along with me. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Dear God, I just ask you today, to do something so powerful in each of our hearts and lives, that you would just open our minds to really see your word and then open our hearts to receive it and help us live it out so we can have great breakthroughs in our relationships. And I know there's so many marriages, Lord, that are really hurting. And I know there's some folks here today who feel like it's hopeless but I just pray that you would fill us with hope today, that you would heal our deepest wounds and that you would just heal relationships, heal families, heal marriages, heal friendships as only you can. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Some people say the purpose of marriage is companionship. 
And to have a life companion that you do life with, and I think that's a good thing. Other people say the purpose of marriage is to find someone who compliments you, who brings out the best in you, and that's a good thing. Some people say the purpose of marriage is to have kids and raise a family, and I think that's a good thing. Some people, mostly men, say the purpose of marriage is sex, and that's a good thing. But the Bible tells us there is a higher purpose that all these other things have to be built upon. And the purpose is to reflect God's love for the church. The purpose of marriage is to model Christ's love for the church. The purpose of marriage is to help us understand a little more about God's love for us and to reflect Christ's love to others so that when people look at my marriage, they ought to get a glimpse of how Christ loves them. They ought to get a glimpse of Christ's love by looking at our marriages, and some of you are going, whoa. If someone is looking at my marriage, I'm not sure that they'll see reflected what Christ's love is all about. I mean, that's a pretty high standard. Well, we're all works in progress. But what I'm saying is, if you focus on perfection, you're gonna tear each other apart. When you focus on God's purpose and realize the purpose is to help you understand more of God's love for you and to reflect God's love to others, it's all about modeling Christ's love for the church and you begin to build your marriage on that and those principles, everything starts to change. Don't focus on a perfect marriage, focus on a purposeful marriage. And there are four phases that will help you move away from perfect to purpose. The first is checkmate. And this is before marriage and the dating process. You need to really check thoroughly the person that you're dating to make sure they're mate material. Have high standards in the dating process. Don't settle. This is so important because when you're dating, you're playing to win at all costs. And so many single adults today act like who they're dating is no big deal. We're just having fun, it's no big deal. It's as if they don't realize that the person they will marry will come from the subset of the people that they date. If you're a single adult, here's the point. You can't date losers and expect to marry a winner. That is a powerful and profound spiritual truth that you ought to write down. You can't date losers and expect to marry a winner. It just doesn't happen that way. Have really high standards in the dating process because it isn't marriage yet. After the vows, then you work on unconditional love. You work on accepting each other's flaws. And But I don't know how many times I've heard single adults say things like, well, I'm dating this guy and he's really messed up, got all kinds of faults, but I know God commands me to love him unconditionally. No! God wants you to dump him. Now, take that as a word from God through me to you today. You you can leave the service if you want and go make that phone call. You're doing God's will. Or, you know, I'm dating this girl, and, I mean, she's got some issues. So would you pray for me, Pastor, that I will learn to accept her just the way she is? I'm not praying for that. I will pray that you... Dump her. This is the dating process. This isn't the marriage relationship. This is when you 
have high standards. But then after you get married, I mean, you're going to be broken enough. You're going to have enough flaws to deal with. And then you start working on unconditional love and praying for God to give you that strength to accept your mate and to, for you to change and to pray that they change and you give them to God and you work on all of your mess and, and you work together. That's what marriage is all about. But it's very different from the dating process. And so I want to give those of you who are single adults, if you ever think you may be married someday, four C's for the checklist, because you need a checklist, not a huge list, because if you have a list of 50 or 60 things and all these details of the perfect mate you're looking for, if you ever find them, they're not going to choose you, so that's a waste of time. So what you want is just a few really important things. First, are they a Christian? Do they love the Lord? The Bible says that when you marry someone, you become one with them, one physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So if they're not a Christ follower, there'll be a level of intimacy you'll never be able to go to. The deepest level of intimacy is spiritual oneness. And if they're not a Christ follower, you can't go to that place of spiritual intimacy. I like the way the message paraphrase put 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. That's the do not be unequally yoked passage. It says, don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership. That's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? Who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? But that is exactly what we are, each of us, a temple in whom God lives. He's saying, don't become yoked and a partner in marriage with someone who doesn't love the Lord. Because there's no way that you can walk hand in hand. There's no way that you can go to that level of intimacy that you need to go to in the marriage relationship. And really pray about who you become business partners with, who you get into deep and close relationships with. Do they have faith in Christ? I don't know how many times I've heard single adults say, well, I'm dating this gal, I'm dating this girl, and I'm trying to get them to come to church. I know they would love church if I could ever get them to come to church. They're not a Christian, but they're so amazing. They have so many great qualities, and I think I can change them. And, and I always say, if you can't get him to come to church while you're dating, what makes you think you're gonna get him to come to church after you get married? I mean, if you can't get him to come to church when right now he's doing things that he normally would never do to try to win you over, like read poetry. It's, well, after we get married, then he'll really change. If he's not making crazy changes right now, he's not gonna make those changes more than likely after. Now, we see miracle after miracle at Woodlands Church. I've gotta tell you, I'm always so amazed. We have, you know, so many wives that come to church and their husbands don't and they don't know the Lord and, and the wife will pray and pray and we'll pray and we've seen miracles, how God will bring them to know the Lord or we've seen wives that just won't come to church but the husband falls in love with Christ and gets so excited about the Lord and then she doesn't understand what's going on and, and then God just changes her heart. We've seen miracle after miracle in that way. And so if you're married to an unbeliever 
who doesn't know the Lord, then the Bible says what you're to do is not nag them, not try to drag them to church, but you're to win them over by modeling Christ's love and give them to the Lord. But we love you. We're praying for you. If you're in that situation, God's still teaching you about his love for you in the way that you love your spouse. But I'm talking about the dating stage right now, and that is you need to be looking for someone who loves the Lord, and then character. Not only do they love God, but are they growing in Christ? Not only are they a Christian, doesn't matter if they're a Christian if they're not really growing in Christ. I'm not talking about being a Bible scholar. I'm talking about having a hunger for spiritual things and wanting to grow. I'm not talking about a spiritual giant. I'm talking about someone who's going the right direction, who, who wants to be in church, who, who spends time with God alone and, and, and learns how to pray together with you and, and you pray together and you talk about spiritual things together. Are they growing in Christ? And then compliment. Do they compliment you? Do they bring out the best in you or do they drag you down? Do they help you grow closer to Christ or do they make it harder for you to grow closer to Christ? Are they the type of person who builds you up or tears you down? Do they build others up? Are they a builder upper or a tear downer? This is really important because if you're dating someone who's just always tearing down everything, always criticizing everyone, I guarantee you, after you get married, they will turn that on you. I guarantee it. And so do they build up or do they tear down? Do they compliment you? And then commitment. Do they really understand what they're committing to? No couple going into marriage totally understands what they're committing to. But do they really understand commitment? And that is to go into marriage being honest about their flaws and fears and feelings and, and realizing they're coming in not in this perfect place, but really two broken people who are looking to build something beautiful out of the brokenness, and you gotta stay committed. Commitment's gotta be the glue so that you can build something beautiful because it takes time. Do they really get that? Do you talk about that? Well, that's the checkmate stage, and it's a really important one. But then once you get married, you're gonna hit a second stage, and that's stalemate. And you have to break the stalemate. There will be times when you hit stalemate, and someone's gotta break the stalemate. It's when you hit that vicious cycle where you're not meeting each other's needs, and the husband says, she's not meeting my needs, so why should I meet her needs? And, and she says, he doesn't meet my needs, so why should I meet his needs? And it becomes this vicious cycle, and a lot of times couples don't even know what the deepest needs are of their spouse. They just think my spouse's needs are what my needs are, and, they don't even listen and learn and connect in their hearts to find out what their deepest needs are, what their longings are, what their desires are, what their goals are, and so they don't become one in that, and they hit this stalemate where many times they just resign. And that's the way a lot of chess games and master chess really ends is resignation. But usually, in the marriage relationship, it's two that resign. They, they just resign, this is the way it's gonna be. If we stay together, this is the way it's gonna be. It's gonna be at stalemate. We're never gonna make it to soulmate, and so they, they just kind of resign. But if you're seeking to build a marriage on God's purpose, the Bible is real clear to reflect Christ's love for us. The husband has to be the one to risk and step out 
and break the stalemate. In Ephesians 5, 25, it says, Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. So men, this spells out our role in the purpose of marriage. We're to risk it all to break the stalemate to be unselfish, to meet our wife's needs, whether she meets our needs or not. We're to be the ones to step up the plate, step up to the plate and take the risk to make that sacrifice. Chess has gained a whole new popularity with this generation coming up, mainly because of the hit Netflix series, The Queen's Gambit. But did you know that King's Gambit is the most popular opening move in the game of chess? The king's gambit is when you sacrifice a pawn right away in order to try to gain a more favorable position on the board, and it's a great risk, the king's gambit. But the king's gambit in the marriage relationship is when the husband risks loving, when the husband becomes vulnerable and risks rejection, when the husband steps up to the plate to sacrifice to say, I'm gonna be the one to love like Christ no matter what. So to fulfill the purpose, the husband needs to first make sacrifices for her. Make sacrifices. This is a love marked by giving, not getting. The king's gambit is really that sacrifice of taking your armor off in order to be vulnerable to give her emotional connection because the deepest need of most women is that emotional connection. And the problem is most of us guys have this armor on that we've developed. A lot of women have armor on that they've developed because you get hurt, you get wounded through life when you're vulnerable and you risk your heart and you reach out and you love. And so what happens is, as we go out into the world, we put our armor on, we fight great battles. And if you don't put your armor on out in the world today, you're going to get beat up. So you've got to put your armor on. And by the way, in the dating process, you need to have your armor on at first you got to have that armor on. You can't come into the dating process and go, on your first date, let me tell you all of my flaws. Let me just share my deepest desires for our marriage together. No, you don't do that. You know, you got to keep your armor on or you're going to get wounded terribly. But then you've got to take your armor off and be able to connect emotionally. In the marriage relationship, it's so important, but the problem is a lot of men We've kept our armor on for so long, we don't even know how to take our armor off. We don't even know what we really feel. We don't know what our real desires are. We don't really, we're not really in tune with our deep emotions, and so we've gotta learn, and that's the king's gambit, is to be able to take that armor off and be vulnerable and be able to connect with our spouse and our kids because they need and must have that deep emotional connection. And God can give us the power to do that, to learn when to put the armor on and fight the great battles and when to take it off so we can connect heart to heart and we can admit our fears and our flaws and be totally honest about who we are and our real feelings. And that can cause conflict, but it creates a deep connection. And that's what our families need. That's what our spouse needs, husbands. For those of you who are a husband, that's the king's gambit is risking, loving, meeting her needs for emotional connection, to really taking that risk, to be vulnerable, to reveal your heart, and you may get wounded. 
but that's the only way. And that's the way Christ loved us. Well, then the second thing is to intentionally build her up with words and actions. Intentionally build her up with words and actions. He says everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best in her. So the way Christ loves the church, the way Christ loves you is everything he does, he's intentionally planned to bring out the best in you. That's what he's always doing. He's always trying to build you up, bringing out the best in you, and that's the way we're to love our wives. Everything we do and say should build her up, bring out the best in her. And it's really all about appreciation. Appreciation just means to raise in value. And so in the marriage relationship, the husband is to raise the wife's value, to help her feel that value and that worth. Just imagine, men, for a moment that you have a dream car. You get your dream car. Maybe it's a brand new sports car. Maybe it's a classic that's been rebuilt, but it's your dream car. And you love this dream car. You're out washing and waxing it all the time. You like to go out in the garage and just look at it and admire it. You love to take it out and let people see you in this dream car. Whenever it gets a scratch, you buff it out right away. And when you go places and you park, you always kind of park in the back where there's some empty places around you because you don't want to park with the riffraff, you know? You're afraid someone's going to scratch your baby. And so you park in a place that no one else is around you. That's the way your wife wants to be cherished. You see, husbands, your wife wants to feel like out of the eight billion people on this planet, she's the only one that you treasure and cherish and value like that. That's the deepest longing of a woman, to be cherished and treasured and valued. And that's because that's how Christ loves. And so treasure her by reflecting God's truth about her. Treasure her by reflecting God's truth about her. It says his words evoke her beauty. Now, Satan lies to every woman by using the same lie. Usually it's, you're not enough, you'll never be enough, you're not beautiful, you'll never be beautiful enough, you'll never be enough. Constantly, you'll never be enough, you'll never measure up to all those airbrushed, stick-thin models on television and in the movies and the internet. You'll just never measure up, you're not beautiful. And so it's a husband's job to reflect God's truth because God says, that she's beautiful, that she's wonderfully made, that she is a perfect child of God, that he has made her righteous in Christ and totally accepted, totally beautiful, totally loved. And so we have to combat those lies by not adding to them, but by reflecting the truth of God's love and reflecting her beauty so when she looks into your eyes, she sees how beautiful she really is. And so that's all about being unselfish. And by the way, it's also publicly praising your wife because in Ephesians 5, it says Christ will present the church as a radiant bride. Christ will present us to himself as a radiant church. And so in public, when you and your wife are presented in public, praise her in public. Evoke her beauty with words. And then the fourth thing is lead her spiritually by taking responsibility. 
leaders spiritually by taking responsibility. In Ephesians 5, 28, it says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Focus on that phrase, but he feeds and cares for. Husbands, we're to take ownership of the spiritual nourishment of our families. This is so important because almost every wife longs for a man who will step up and take responsibility for the spiritual nourishment and growth for their family. She wants a king and not a pawn. She wants a king and not a man who says, I'm just a little pawn in the game of life. I'm not really good at spiritual things. I'm good at business. I'm good at playing golf with my buddies, but I'm gonna leave the spiritual stuff to you because I'm not really good at that. She doesn't want a man who pawns off the spiritual responsibility for the family's growth in the Lord on her. She wants a king who'll step up to the plate and take responsibility. Not a king of selfishness, but a king of serving, a king of sacrificing, who will put a priority on spiritual things, who'll take responsibility and say, it is my job to make sure we put a priority on church. It is my job to make sure I'm growing spiritually that I'm gonna have my quiet time with God and spend 10 minutes with God and his word every day. It's my job to make sure that we pray together. I'm not great at it, but we're gonna do it. We're gonna pray together. We're gonna seek God together. I'm gonna take responsibility for the spiritual growth of our family. Now, husbands, we're to break the stalemate with sacrifice. And then there's a third thing, and that is you become a great teammate. Become a great teammate. You see, the wife has two things, just two things to fulfill in the purpose of marriage, but it's been so misunderstood. In Ephesians 5.22, it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, that word submit has been so misunderstood, misused, and abused by men throughout the years, and it's been more like, hey, the Bible says you gotta do whatever I say. I make all the decisions, you gotta do whatever I say. You gotta follow me if you wanna stay with me, you gotta follow me, you gotta do whatever I say. That's what the Bible says. And nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, men who've misused that verse never talk about the verse right before it, Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're to give in to each other, to put the other ahead of ourselves. Now, let me explain it this way. For hundreds of years, men have misused that passage. And they say, well, I am the king of the family. So I lead the family. And I'm gonna lead, and you've gotta walk behind me because the Bible says you've gotta submit. So you gotta follow me. If you wanna stay together in this marriage relationship, you gotta follow me wherever I go. You've got to do whatever I do, whatever I want to do, because I am the spiritual leader. You've got to submit to me, and so you've got to follow me. And this has gone on in cultures for hundreds of years. And, and by the way, in some cultures today, it's still a tradition that symbolically women have to walk behind their husband. The wife has to walk behind their husband. And you, you walk into a public place, and the wife has to follow behind. It's symbolically that he's the leader Everyone needs to see, he's the leader. It has to be known, he's the one. 
But about 50 years ago in America, women got fed up and they said, I'm done. I'm done with your pathetic leadership. You've been leading me the wrong way for a long time. I am done with it. I'm not going to follow you anymore. In fact, I'm going to lead. And if you want to stay together with me, then you've got to follow because I'm going to lead. I'm going to do what I want. I'm tired of listening to you. You've been leading me down the wrong path over and over again. And I'm going to do what I want to do. I am going to lead. And if you want to be in this relationship, you've got to follow. And what's been happening is men and women have been fighting for control ever since. But here's the amazing thing. That word submit literally means to walk hand in hand. And so what is the wife's first responsibility? To walk hand in hand with her husband. That they're both united, hand in hand, praying about decisions having a connection where they together arrive at following God, that God leads, but they walk hand in hand together. That's the whole purpose. And you know, I've rarely seen a wife who won't reach out and take her husband's hand and walk hand in hand with him if he is loving her the way the Bible talks about, like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. Husbands, we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church and sacrificed his life for the church. We're to give our lives for them each and every day. And I've rarely met a wife who won't walk hand in hand with her husband if he's loving her that way. And it is walking hand in hand where he takes ownership of the spiritual growth of the family. She may be the more spiritual one, but he takes ownership of that and they pray together, they connect together. They walk hand in hand together. That's the way God meant for it to be. But then the second thing the wife must do is to give her respect to her husband to fulfill the purpose of marriage. Give her respect to her husband. It says in Ephesians 5.33, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So focus on that phrase, love his wife, and on the phrase, respect her husband. It's love and respect. You know, it's husbands to make sure your wife feels loved and wives, make sure your husband feels that deep respect. And that's when it all starts coming together and you move to the fourth thing and that is risk it all to become soulmates. You risk it all to become soulmates. In Ephesians 5.31 it says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That's speaking to such a deeper meaning there that the two become one physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The two become one. They're two individuals with different needs, different desires, coming from different backgrounds, but they come together to share everything. And to do that, it takes a great risk. Risk being honest and vulnerable. Risk revealing all your flaws and brokenness risk loving the other, whether they meet your needs back or not. It's a giant risk, but it's the only way because the great king's gambit was when the king of kings left his home in heaven and he came down to show us what love was all about and he died on the cross for all of our sins and then he gave us the power to choose whether or not we wanted to love him back. 
He died so we could have a relationship with him. He risked it all. He sacrificed it all so that we could have a love relationship with him, but he gives us the choice as to whether we're gonna love him back or curse his name. The king of kings, Gambit. That great gamble that he took because he loved you so much, he thinks was worth it because you're that valuable to him. He thinks you're worth dying for. And that's the kind of love that it takes in a marriage relationship. And that means you can't do it. You don't have that kind of love. I don't have that kind of love except for Christ in me, loving through me. Human love runs out and we revert back to our flesh and our selfishness and fighting for control. But that's when we say, God, Jesus Christ loved through me like you love the church so that I could understand more of your love, so that I can reflect that love to others. And when you do that, things start to click. And when you do that, you begin to experience more of Christ's love and understand it a little bit more and get a glimpse of how much he loves you. The king's gambit and the queen's gambit is to risk being completely honest, revealing all your faults and flaws and all your mess, and yet, being totally loved. That's what it's all about. And that risk is worth it. And to have a close relationship with someone, you've got to take your armor off and risk some more and risk some more and risk some more. And, and, and there's always great risk, but it's the only way to find the reward. I don't know if some of you have been hurt as you've risked. Maybe you've risked too soon. Maybe in the dating process, it kind of all fell apart, or maybe you've been just wounded deeply and never saw it coming. We have a king of kings who risks everything to heal your wounds, and he loves you so much, and he will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never fail you, and the Bible says, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny his own character. He is the faithful one. Praise God. In this world of faithlessness, where we let each other down, there, there is one we can always count on, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's pray together. Dear God, I, I pray for those who are married, that you would just today show us it's all about the purpose, not about perfection, and that you would help us, Lord, in this process to follow your principles, that you would help us, Lord, to walk hand in hand, that you would strengthen men, Lord, to step up to the plate and take the king's gambit and risk everything to love, that you would heal hurts in relationships, that you would heal wounds, and Lord Jesus, that you would just bring about your glory in every marriage, that you would just shine, Lord, through all of the brokenness and the hurt and the pain, that your purpose would come through so powerfully. And Lord, I pray for all those who are dealing with such wounds that those wounds feel so raw and so open right now that you would just bring healing in those deepest places as only you can. And then help us all, Lord Jesus, to risk, to risk loving. And Lord, the reason why we can risk loving others is because you risk everything to love us. And I can risk loving and sacrificing and laying it all out there because I know that you, King of kings, Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, you love me perfectly, 
and you accept me fully. And because I'm so accepted, Lord, I can risk rejection from others. Give us the power and the strength to love. Lord, our human love runs out. And so fill us with your love. Love through us with your power and your strength. And I pray for those who've never come into a relationship with you. They don't know you, Lord. They're not a Christ follower. I pray today that they would become one by just praying this simple prayer to you. Jesus Christ, I want you to lead me from now on. I need you to come into my life and cleanse me and forgive me of all my sins. Give me a fresh start. Help me follow you. Fill me with your love. I thank you, Lord, that you risk it all to save me. I accept your salvation in heaven one day. Be the Lord of my life and lead me from now on. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, now we're at the point of our service where we give. It's not about getting, it's about giving. And we give because we love him. We love what he's doing through the ministries and the missions of our church, over 100 of them. And you know, we have three huge priorities. First, to get the gospel of hope to the world, hope in Jesus Christ. Secondly, to raise up the poor and powerless, but not giving them a handout, but a help up through all of our ministry projects and food projects, farming projects, water projects, clinics, all of our relief that we do, bringing people out of human trafficking, all those ministries that we have. And then the third thing is to raise up the next generation to change the world, to invest in this next generation so they can grow up and change the world because Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. And so let's give to the Lord because that's what he's doing at Woodland Church. And the way you give, take out your smartphone. That's how you give. Text GIVEWC, one word, GIVEWC to 77977. And that's how you give. Or you can go to wc.org slash give. If you got your computer and online at home, or you can write a check and put it in one of our offering boxes on the way out or mail in a check, but give, give. We're stepping out in faith more than ever to make a difference for Jesus Christ. And I'm talking about this next generation because we're getting ready to do one of the biggest and most life-changing things we do. It's called Reality Weekend. And we just made a decision that our students have gone through so much. There's been so many mental health issues and so many struggles during this pandemic as things were closed down and, and all the things that, that have happened in their lives, so many giant changes. And so we just decided we're gonna minister more than ever. And our student pastors are amazing. And so we're having Rally Weekend. And Rally Weekend is next weekend. And they go, they learn about Jesus, they grow in the Lord. They're in small groups, they're in large groups at the pavilion. And we're gonna pack this place out. It's amazing. You know, we're shooting for 1,000 students. And we're almost there. It's amazing what God's doing. I want you to welcome Pastor Mark Miller, our student pastor. Would you tell him how much you appreciate him and our student pastors and volunteers? Mark. Thank you, Mark. I mean, I'm so proud of Mark and our team. They are passionate about leading, modeling for our students, loving Jesus and loving others. And it's amazing what God is doing. People are coming from all over the country to say, how in the world are, are y'all being able to do this during a pandemic where the student ministry is growing and lives are being changed and what's going on? And it's just Jesus 
doing a work. This next generation, they're gonna change the world. You look out. I know that there's been a lot of pessimism. It's like, you know, what's the world going to? What's happening in the world? I'm telling you, look at this generation and they are passionate about Jesus Christ and God's word. And we would love for you to scholarship a student that can't go. Scholarship one or two, 20. But you can do that on the way out. I can't think of anything you can invest in that would make a bigger difference because their life will be changed. God will work on their hearts powerfully and they'll see that they are not alone. How we need this generation to lead out, to lead us to Jesus. Let's stand together, Will and Church. Don't forget, don't forget that God loves you. Don't forget that he will never forget you. He's written your name on the palm of his hand. He cannot forget you, and he will always hold you. Even when you can't hold on any longer, he will hold you tight. He is faithful even when we are faithless. And so that frees us up to love others, to risk everything, to reach out, invite people to church. And they may reject us and say no. It, it, it frees us up to risk, to love the people in our lives whether they love us back or not, because we've got the God of the universe who loves us completely and accepts us because of his son's death on the cross. He will never forget you, so don't forget when you go through trouble this week, when you go through problems, don't forget that he will never forget you, that he's watching over you, that he's right there with you, and he's gonna give you the power to make it through. Let's sing to the Lord as our declaration, Woodland Church. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.